0: Okay. Uh, okay, welcome everyone again. This is the Sheer Illuin Yishmoss and Ephraim Shmuel Benavra Ariyah Akoin and Chayat Toba Bas Aliyaz and Mendel on the book of Yechezkel. We are in the fourth chapter. Um we've been discussing the fact that Yechezkel has been confined to quarters. He, he has to stay at home and he's not allowed to communicate with the outside world. And um, now, after having been confined to quarters, we have come across verses 4, 5, and 6. Chapter 4, verses 4, 5, and 6, which I'll read to you. And we'll try and unravel these three verses today. So, God says to him, hasmoli. Uh, You will sleep on your left side. Uh, for sometimes Avon Abon, roll Yisrael, Olav. And you shall place or remove or atone for the sins of the house of Israel through the number of days that you shall lie on your left side. Um, And you will bear their sins. You will atone for their sins. That's verse 4. I've given you the years of their sinning, the Mispa Yomim, I've converted it into days from years. Shiloshmeos Pachishim Yom, first uh three hundred and ninety days or three hundred and ninety years. Venosa es abonasosa avon Beshitra. That will account for the sins of the whole house of Israel. Bihilisa et Shakata of Sid Sidch Hayemoni. And when you completed these 390 days, lying on your left side, then you should lie down on your right side. Shainis, <laughs> a second time. And these 40 days, or 40 years, that represent 40 years, these are to atone for the 40 years of the sins that are attributable only to the southern kingdom. Our Yom Lashona, Yom Lashonah, Nasatiblo. That uh, 40 years, 40 days uh, is for 40 years, 40 days is, a, a year is a day, a year is a day. Nasatiblo. I've given this to you. So essentially uh, we've got a situation where uh, Yerkeskel is being told to do something very strange. He's supposed to lie on sleep on his left side. For 390 days. Let me just mute everybody again. Uh, Okay. Uh, Yehezkel has been told to lie on his left side. To atone for the sins of the whole house of Israel. Northern and southern kingdom. um, For 390 days. To atone for 390 years of sin. And then additional 40 days. On his right side. To atone for the extra 40 years of sin that occurred after uh, the Northern Kingdom was exiled and affected only the Southern Kingdom. So exactly how we calculate this. So I, really, I, I'm not going to get really heavily involved in this. I'm just going to give you the opinion of Rashi. There are various opinions how you calculate the 390, the 390 years and the 40 extra years. But uh, I'll give you the calculation of Rashi. The Rashi says that... Um, the calculation is mainly based around the reigns of particular kings and uh, rulers of the southern kingdom and the northern kingdom who were wicked um, and these are the calculations of the 390 years and Rashi says that I found it in a response to me Rabbi Yosef Reish Masifta, uh, Rabbi Yosef the head of the yeshiva now I, he, it's not clear from Rashi exactly which Rosh, Rabbi Yosef it is which Rashi yeshiva it is but it could be uh, Rabbi Yosef, who was the Rosh Yeshiva of Pompadisa, um, the Babylonian Yeshiva, which is one of the three great Yeshivas in Babylonia. The most northern one was Nahar by the river of the Euphrates, hence the name Nahar which was a no- to the north of Baghdad. Uh, Pompadisa was a little bit further south, and even further south was the Yeshiva of Surah. Uh, and Rabbi Yosef was the Rosh Yeshiva, only for two years, of the yeshiva in Pompidisa. But in any case, how's a three, how does Rashi calculate these 390 years? So he says as follows, the 10 tribes sins from the days of Yehoshua, uh, Yehoshua until Sancheireb exiled them from Shomron in the Northern Kingdom. So he says the calculation goes like this. In the days of the Shoftim, there were eight years under the rule of Kushan, 18 years under the rule of Eglon, Twenty years under the rule of Sisra, seven years under the rule of Medjiah, eighteen years under the rule of uh, Ammon, and forty years under the rule of, of the Philistines. Uh, the total there is one hundred and eleven years. The calculation continues from the stories at the end of the Shoftim, which was uh, the story of Pesel Miha, which. Those that have learned Tanakh with me, the Book of Shovtim know in great detail that they built a an, uh, an idol that uh, was built by somebody called Micha. From that point at the end of the Book of Shovtim until the ark was captured in the Book of Shmuel, which was 40 years later. So that gives you another 40 years of sinning, which takes it up from 111 years to 151 years. Then he says, add the period of Yerobah ben Yerob Yerobah ben was the first king of the Northern Kingdom. That was 22 years. Nodov, his son, reigned for two years. Basah reigned for 24 years. Elah reigned for two. Omri for 12. Achab for 22. Achaziah, his son, for two. Yehoram, his brother, for 12. Yehu for 28. Yehoahachos, Ye- 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 Yeho- for 17, Yehoash for 16, and Yerovon, the second Yerovon, 41 years, which gives a running total of, these are all wicked kings. The running total is now either 350 or 351 years. It then, says Rashi, you add Menachem ben Gadi, who reigned after that for 10 years, Pekahiah, his son, for two, Pekach ben Ramalyol, for 20 years, Hoshe ben Ayla. For nine years and the running total is now 391 years but Hoshea the last year of Hoshea which is that he was the last king of the northern kingdom his last year was interrupted and he's not counted because it was during his ninth year his final year that Sharon the northern kingdom was captured by the Assyrians and therefore Hoshea ben Ela was counted as having reigned only eight years that leaves a running total of 390 years uh, associated with the whole of Israel um, up to the time that the kingdom of uh, the northern kingdom was sent into exile that's your 390 years now as i said there are other opinions here that disagree with rashi but everyone comes out to the 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 number 390 whichever way you, you cut and paste it they come out to the to the number 390 what about the extra 40 years once the once the northern kingdom have gone uh, and gone into the Assyrian Empire been absorbed into the Syrian empire, the uh, kingdom of Yehuda was left by itself for another 133 years until it too was destroyed by the Babylonians, which is where we are now in the story. And the 40 years that the kings of Yehuda sinned after the exile of the northern kingdom at the hands of Sanherib, the king of Assyria, uh, until this moment in the prophecy of Yehezgal, which is six years before the destruction of the base of Migdash, which is the Ovon base Yehuda Araboyim. This is just relates to the sins of the southern kingdom, just 40 years. Um, so the calculation of the extra 40 years out of the 133 years that the southern kingdom survived, the destruction of the northern kingdom is calculated like this. 22 years, King Manasseh was a, were a rotten king. Um, about whom it is written by Yas, Asherah, Kasher, also Achav, Melchisrael, um and that Manasseh was as evil as King Achav, who was the king in the Northern Kingdom, who also reigned for 22 years. So you got 22 years of Manasseh, 2 years of Ammon, his son, 11 years of Jehoiakim um which is 35, um, and this prophecy was transmitted to Yechezkel, as we know, in the fifth year of King Zedekiah's reign. So you've got 22, two, eleven, 11, and 5 is a total of 40. So now you've got a grand total of 4, 430 years that God, so to speak, calculates the Jews have been sinning since the time they arrived in the land of Israel 850 years ago. So, so you got a, a grand total of 430, 390 relate to the whole of Israel, the whole the whole of the Jewish people, and 40 relate directly to the southern kingdom after the northern kingdom had gone into exile. So, and you should know that after this prophecy, there remained yet another six years until the base of English was destroyed. Yecheskel is getting this prophecy six years before the base of English was destroyed. So the total sinning period up to and including the year of the destruction of the base of Migdash was actually 436 years. But the running total at the moment, because we're six years before that event, we're six years before the destruction of the base of Migdash, is 430 years. So these, the total, which is going to be 436 by the time the base of Migdash is destroyed, uh, 436 years of sin is calculated uh, as follows not calculated as follows is equaled as follows in 436 years there are eight yovalim right because a yoval is every 50 years so in a period of 400 years there are eight yovalim so in 436 years there are also eight yovalim so that's eight years there's additional um 36 years in that um, which we'll come to in a second. But in these 400 years, uh, there are also eight Schmitters, eight Schmitters and eight Yovelim in 400 years. And that's 56 Schmitters and eight Yovelos, so, which gives a total of 64 years of either Yovel or Schmitter not observed. 64 years. Uh, in the other 36 years, uh, after the 400 have been calculated, there are another five shmitos. So add five to 64, you get 69. Um, and the final yovel year, which was a work in progress at the time that the base of English was destroyed, is accounted to them as well, because they were exiled from the land because of their sins involving the Shemitah and the yovel. So essentially, what you've got out of the 436 years that they sinned, it meant they ignored um, they ignored uh exactly 61 shmitos and 9 yobalos. So, which is a total of 70 years, uh, which is a reason that they were in exile for 70 years in Babylonia. So, we've got, we understand the 390 years sinning of the Jewish people since they arrived in the land of Israel, 390 years out of 850, but there's an extra 40 years of sinning attributable to the southern kingdom, and uh which gives a total of 430. There are another six years before the base of is destroyed, which gives a total of 436. And in that 436 years, you had a total of 61 Yo- uh, Shemitah years that they didn't observe, and nine yoglos. That they didn't observe, which gives a total total amount of years, holy years, sabbatical years that they didn't observe of uh, nine yovelos and nine jubilee years and sixty-one shmitos, which is a total of seventy, which is why they were exiled for exactly seventy years. That is the calculation of Rashi, and uh, if you want proof of it, that that is the reason for exile the Torah is very specific. The Torah says in Vayikra, uh, this is in Vayikra, chapter third 26, verse 34, Oz the land is calmed regarding its Shemitah. In other words, if you keep Shemitah, the land will be calm. But all during all the days that it remains desolate while you're in the land of your enemies, And while it remains desolate, while you're in the land of your enemies, the land will uh, appease itself over its lost Shemitahs, lost sabbatical years. So the Torah is very explicit that the reason for exile is non-observance of the Shemitah and non-observance of the Yobel. So again, we've done the calculation and in the 436 years, so to speak, that Rashi and, uh, well, the Seder Olam calculates that the Jews had spent sinning, that that actually indicates 70 years of sabbatical years that they didn't observe. And that's why they went into exile for 70 years. And this is also um, plays out at the end of the uh, Tanakh in Divrei Ayomim, the book of Chronicles, the second book of Chronicles, in chapter 36. The pasuk says, "Lamalos devar Hashem b'fi to fulfill the word of God that was spoken by Yirmiyahu, Jeremiah, the prophet." And rotzasor oritzas shabsozeha, the land was appeased for its missed sabbatical years. Kol yemei Hashama all the days of death, desolation it rested. Lamalos to shivim shona, to complete a period of seventy years that those years that the Jewish people did not keep the Shemitah and they did not keep the yoga. So that is the calculation. That's why God says lay, lay on your left side for 390 days and lay on your right side for 40 days. But why? Now, what, 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 what's God's rationale here? What's God's plan here? And there are really four major questions in East psukim that really do beg uh, an answer and we'll do our best to answer these questions. Question number one is, what does sleeping on the left side for 399 days, 390 days, and sleeping on your right side for 40 days signify? Like what's, what's the remes here? Why the left side? Why the right side? Why 390 on the left and 40 on the right? What does that signify? Question number two, how does Yechezkel atone for 430 or... It will will be, by the time the base of English is destroyed, 436 years of sin by sleeping on his left side for 390 days and 40 days on his left side. How does that work? How does that work as an atonement? Now, question number three is, how does anyone atone for sins that they've never actually did themselves? Like, why would why would Yechezkel have to atone for sins that took place over the previous 850 years when he wasn't even around? what's, What's he got to do with him? And finally, um, the fourth question is if Yerushalayim and the base of Midrash was eventually destroyed anyway, which is exactly what happened, this drama of, so to speak, of atonement by Yecheskel sleeping on his left side 390 days and sleeping on his right side for 40 days seems to have been a complete and utter waste of time because at the end of the day, it didn't really affect history. At the end of the day, the base of Midrash was destroyed. So he didn't atone for the sins anyway. So what on earth is going on? Um, so let's deal with these questions one by one. Um, and um, let's see if we can make sense of this. So question: the first question we have to ask is, what does sleeping on your left side for 390 90 days and sleeping on your right side for 40 days signify? So there's various answers to this question, which I'll deal with, um, as I always do, I'll give you the most, uh, the simple answers or the most superficial answers first, then we'll delve a little bit deeper into it. So again, why, what's the significance of left side for 390 days and right side, sleeping on the right side for 40 days? So the first answer is based on, um, something we discussed in the framework of the base of English in chapter one. Um, we saw this, um, I'll just bring up the image. something I mentioned last time. Um,
1: let me bring up the image. Let's wait a second. Uh, where is it? Yeah.
0: There it is. Everyone can see the image, the image of the base. I'll take, and give you a smaller image. So it's, you see the north, the north, west, east, south and west. So here's, you've got the base of Migdosh and on the left hand side of the base of Migdash, on the western side. Get that into the picture. On maybe I'll reduce this so I could reduce the side. But uh on the left hand side of the base of Mikdosh, where the red arrow is on the left hand side, that points to the Kodesh Kudoshim. And um, we know, we discussed this in the framework of chapter one. Um, we saw that uh if you look at the base looking out from the base of Migdosh, from the Kodesh Kudoshim, which is in the west, um, the left side is uh, signifies north. I hope you can all see that. Um so sleeping on the, on your left side indicates a northern trajectory, and hence it's talking about the northern kingdom. That's a simple way of looking at it. And your right side, looking out from the cottage Kadoshim um from the west, and you look to your right, you're going south, symbolizing the kingdom of Yehuda. So that's just a, a simple understanding. I hope everyone could see that. But if you look up from the Kodesh Kedoshim, um which uh, let's see if I can mark it here, I don't know if I can. Oh, the, if you look where it says the Ark of the Covenant on the left-hand side, it's got a red arrow. That's the Kodesh Kadoshim pointing to the Kodesh Kedoshim. On the left-hand side, that's where the showbread table is. And that is north signifying the northern kingdom. And on the right, that's signifying south. Um, that's signifying the southern kingdom. So 390 days uh, on your left facing north is uh, represents the northern kingdom sins or the whole of Israel sins. And just facing uh, on the right for 40 days signifies the southern kingdom, which is on the right hand side of the base of English. So that is a very, very simplistic way of looking at it. Um, and uh, there are much deeper reasons for this. So we'll just have a quick look at the uh the Malvin. Um, the Malman's got a completely different take on these three verses. And he says as follows be he says the first thing is you lie on your left hand side for 390 days. Obam be kulo. Asara Smallest, the essence of the ten tribes is on God's left side. Why is the ten tribes on God's left side, nothing to do with what we discussed regarding the, um, the layout of the base of Midrash. Because the left, the right hand side of God indicates, indicates, um, miracles. <speaking> in <Hebrew> that we say in, um, we say in, uh, Davening. Yemin Hashem khoil It's the right hand of God that performs miracles. uh, It's the source of miraculous activity. That's a in Tehillim, in the 118th chapter of Tehillim. V'hasmo, and the left hand side of God, Morah Al Hanhogah um is illustrative of God running the world in a non-physical way. Just the world running as it appears to run on automatic. On uh, you know. Just uh, casually, nature just casually moves on. The natural laws. That's God's left hand. And God treated the ten tribes only through natural means. He performed no miracles for them. And the reality is that when he came to the northern kingdom, he didn't give them almost no signs, and he didn't perform any miracles for them, and they did not always have prophets to rebuke them. The, the prophets they had were very intermittent. L'chayn chotu b'avodah zara. As a result of all these things, uh, the fact that God never performed miracles for them, and uh, their prophets were few and far between, as a result of that, they fell into the trap of becoming pagans. U'bezei yilmad madzuchus al-baish Yisrael. And therefore, in relation to the Northern Kingdom, you've got to feel a little bit of sympathy for them to the extent that the punishment they got um, was really, you know, on the surface of it, it seems, you know, inappropriate because they weren't given the, the prophets and the signs and the wonders and the miracles that the Southern Kingdom were given. So, and that's why it says, Ani nosati shnei avon on lamispa yomim shalos me'osh Because the Ten Tribes didn't have, so to speak, God's right hand with them. God never performed miracles for them. God, so to speak, considers their sins, the 390 years of sin, as merely days. That's why he says, in relation to sleeping on the left-hand side, he doesn't mention years. He says, You have to sleep on your left side 390 days. And the Malvian quotes the Yerobar He says, From the time of Ben Navot, the first king of the Northern Kingdom, she is He's the first one to introduce the northern tribes to sin, ad korban until the destruction of the Base of Middlesh, Shalos, Shalosh mel Vatishim shonah That was three hundred and ninety years. Kabavor, Yehuda, as can easily be calculated by in reference to the parallel kings of Yehuda, Ulachai, Sivol, Lishkov, Shats Yom. And that's why God commanded uh, Yechezkel to sleep on his left side 390 days. Not in correspondence to years. It's as if God has said, I'll consider the 390 years that the northern tribe sinned as merely days because of uh, God's lack of hashkochal, lack of providence that he gave them during their periods because they were sinners. Then God says, when you finish these 390 days, Then you've got to turn over and sleep 40 days on your right side. So then you've got to uh, lie for 40 days on your right-hand side um, to take into account the additional sins of the extra 40 years of sins that the Southern Kingdom did once the Northern Kingdom went into uh, exile. And, uh, this 40-year period is from the 13th year of the reign of Yoshiahu, King Yoshiahu, um, until the time of the destruction, because it was in the 13th year of the king, the king of the monarchy of Yoshiahu, that the decree was made about the destruction of the base of Mikdash. the Hisra, Yom, yom, And unlike the northern kingdom, who had very few prophets, Yemir, when, when the decree about the destruction of the base of Mikdash came, God sent Yeremia every single day to warn them to do Teshuvah that they could still avert and cancel the, the decree. And they paid no attention to it, Gola Hashem,, even though God showed them miracles at the hands of Yumiah, and he had Yeiah badger them day after day after day, they paid no attention to anything he had to say. And therefore, for this sin. But the sin of the fact that God showed the southern kingdom many miracles and the fact that unlike the northern kingdom, God had a prophet there. From the moment the decree was made for the destruction of the base of right up until the moment, moments before. The hate there, because of this sin, that they paid no attention to Yirmiyahu, who was constantly pounding into their heads that the base of is destroyed based This forty days, forty years relates directly only to the kingdom of Yehuda. But that's why it says, so That you have to sleep. You will have to sleep on your right side a second time for forty years, forty days. But And when he says that he's he's got to sit, lie, sleep, on his right side for 40 days, Um, the right side indicates that he's talking to a nation, the southern kingdom, that had God's right hand all along, all the way through the kingdom of Yehuda. They were shown miracles and they were rescued um, right up until the point. Where it became obvious that they weren't going to do teshuva, right through the history of the Southern Kingdom, they were—they had miraculous uh, occurrences and they had uh, prophets in every single generation uh, who they paid no attention to. <speaking in Hebrew> That's why, when it comes to the forty days that, Ye- that Yecheskel has to lay on his right side. um, in contradistinction to the 390 days that he's got to lay on his left side for the uh, Northern Kingdom, ki limud zuchus Hashem, They get no credit at all, like the Northern Kingdom did, because the Northern Kingdom didn't have all these miracles and all these prophets. They get no zuchus. <speaking in Hebrew> they get no uh, discounts. Al Rak atol nashu hayonim When it comes to the sins of the southern kingdom, they're, they're not reduced from a period of years to days, like the northern kingdom. The mountain says the northern kingdom's sins, 390 years of sins, were reduced to a calculation of 390 days, as the posse says. But when it came to him lying on his right side to, so to speak, atone for the sins of the southern kingdom... That they got no discount. They got no discount. There was no discount for the southern kingdom. That their their 40 years of sin weren't commuted to days. It's true that Yechazkel is going to sleep on his right side. One day for each year. But the reality is, says the Zemalbim, each year is calculated as a year of sin. Whereas in the Northern Kingdom, each year of sin is calculated as one day of sin. And that's why it says in relation to the Northern Kingdom, it only mentions days. When it discusses the Southern Kingdom, as we saw in verse 6, the second time when you sleep on the, the... Right hand side, the Narsoses Avon Yehuda. You're dealing with the sins of the, of the Southern Kingdom. Arboreum Yom, Yom There's no discount. You sleep, oh, it's true, you're only going to sleep 40 days on your right hand side, but don't think it's like the Northern Kingdom, where I've, where I've commuted the, the years into days. And when it comes to the Southern Kingdom, there's no com- commutation of sentence. It's Yom Lashona, Yom Lashona. That uh, each, each day you sleep on your right-hand side represents a complete year of their sinning. Nesatibloch. That's what I'm giving you to do. So that's the way the, uh, the Malibu understands it. There's a huge difference between the uh, 390 days that he sleeps on his left side and the 40 days that he sleeps on his right side. The 390 days that he sleeps on his left side is representation of some type of sympathy, some type of of discount that the the northern kingdom had, Um, which is why probably why they lasted so long. Um, After being, they had no righteous leaders at all. They had no righteous kings. The southern kingdom, on the other hand, had plenty of righteous kings. And nevertheless, they never paid, and they had miracles, and they had constant prophets, And yet they still never paid any attention to Yermia, so that when, when their sins are calculated, they get no discount from years into days. Their sins are counted as full years. But obviously Yechezkel can't sleep on his right side for 40 years. So he has to sleep on his right side for 40 years. But God makes it clear in the possum. Yom. Yom Lashona, Yom Lashona, Which is Masha Enke. He doesn't say that by the Northern Kingdom of the 390 days. he just calls them days. That's the opinion of that is the that is the opinion of the uh a um the Malvin so it still really doesn't answer any questions like what 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 the heck's going on um and why how how the second question jumps out at you again how does Yecheskel atone for 430 through 430 years of sitting by sleeping on his left side and uh, for 390 days and on his left on his right side for 40 days and and question that's question two and question three is how does anyone atone for the sins that they never actually did themselves when do you see that you can you can do a kapora like uh if um if i do a sin so it's on me well if i do a sin somebody else can't do an atonement for me i'm going to do it i'm going to say i'll i'm going to say uh i'm going to i'm going to do Teshuva. Somebody can't do you can't do to for somebody else, so and not only that, to get a kapara, how do you get a kapara for somebody else's sins, especially considering they're all dead? You know, they're finished. You know, you, you're talking about 430 years out of that 430 years of people sinning, uh, over 90 percent of those people are dead. How do you get a kapara for people that are dead already? It just seems uh nonsensical, so. In order to understand this, it's a, um, a very deep idea uh, that comes from the Ma'aral and from various other uh, sources. Um, and again, I'll just repeat the two questions. How does Yehoshel atone for 430 or 436 years of sin by sleeping on his left side for 390 days and 40 days on his right side? And the second question, even if he could do that, how does anyone atone for the sins that they have never actually committed themselves? So, as an introduction to try and answer this question, we have to say like this when a person suffers, that suffering may have nothing to do with a failure on his part. And um, pe- people, people forget that. And um, people always say, you know, you look at somebody and they're suffering. So the immediate reaction is, oh, yeah, he's suffering, must have done something, right? That's well, human nature, must have done something wrong. That in Jewish, in Jewish philosophy, that's, uh, not a golden rule. It's not a rule at all. Um, the golden rule from this section, if any, if you take any golden rule out of this section of Yecherskel, it's this. Not all suffering is punishment. Um, if you forget that maxim, uh, the charlatan secular atheist has always got you defeated with one question. If there is a God and he is all good, why do innocent people and why do children suffer? So um, if you attribute suffering to punishment, then you can't answer that question. But the reality is the atheist uh, secularist who is asking that question is a charlatan because he makes the assumption with no evidence to back it up. That for for believing people, theists, theists, people who believe in God, all suffering is punishment. And our tradition, uh, of which he, the atheist, is ignorant, says no such thing. The truth of the matter is that a person could suffer poverty all his life and be a complete sadic. His tasks in this world to, to attain the perfection for which he was created demand that he be poor. Simple as that. And some people Every human being created, as I've mentioned many times, there are no, there's no one here in the audience. Everyone in this world is an actor on the stage. Everyone's got a job to do. Everyone's got a tough kid, a job, and they're given the tool, a a unique job, and they're given the tools that they need to complete that job. So some people need to be, you know, Kheda teachers, and they're never going to be mega wealthy. Some people some people have got uh, a job what their task in life is to, or well, their tikkun is to show chesed. And their task is money. And uh, a person could suffer poverty all his life and be a complete sadhik. His tasks in this world to attain the perfections for which he was created may demand that he be poor. In the same way, a person could be wealthy all his life and be a complete Sadik as well. Just that his task in this world to attain the perfections for which he was created, demand that he be wealthy. So we don't know. We don't know the reasons why some people become wealthy, some people become poor, some people suffer, some people don't suffer. Some people seem to have a magical run in this, in this life, always healthy, always, uh, you know, always healthy, wealthy and wise. And you have people, you know, three, uh, you know, 50-pound weak, weaklings that are always sick, always poor, can't make a living. And, uh, you know, just the way it is. To, to say that uh, a person is what he is or suffers what he suffers because there's a punishment going on, it's just ludicrous. So we have this idea in Judaism, which uh, is technically called, uh, in English I would describe it as this, suffering beyond oneself. Under certain conditions, and this is something uh we touched upon when we learnt uh, uh the Darrah Hashem uh, those of you that learned the derah Hashem with me the Ramchal touched upon this, but I want to expand upon it now uh, under certain conditions when a heavenly decree is made against the whole world uh the Jewish nation or a particular particular community or a particular uh, 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 individual um, um that God uh, brings a a heavenly decree against the world or against the Jewish nation in particular or against a particular community or against a particular individual, the decree can be removed and only the tzaddik will suffer or die instead of the truly guilty. Why is Ringo suffering? So in the majority of cases, it's got something to do with Ringo. Something to, do the Ringo, something to do with Ringo's personality, something to do with Ringo's actions, something to do with Ringo's uh, task in this world. Maybe he did something wrong, he's being punished. Maybe he needs a wake-up call to do Shuva, or just this, was, this is one of his challenges um, to create his own perfection in this world. But what about the God L'Hadol? What about the greatest man of our generation in terms of wrongdoing? in terms of a wake-up call, and in terms of challenges he has not met for his own perfections. Now, it's true, he might deserve uh, little or no suffering at all. Um, if he gets more than his measure, then that suffering is surplus. So you, this is like a mathematical equation here. So Jewish philosophy teaches us, and again, this is around Chal, the Maral, the Rambam, Rabbi Yosef Albo, Surplus, surplus suffering can count towards the community. It can count towards the community. It can, can count towards the generation or it, it, indeed it can count towards the whole world. Um, let me just give you a, a, a quick mathematical example. A person is so great, um, that he has surplus suffering. He suffers more than he should do. And that suffering is, is deferred to cover the suffering that should be due to others. That person that Sadik is doing a great service uh for everyone else he's taking upon himself the suffering of others therefore by accepting the surplus suffering and dedicating it to the purification or protection of other people that act in itself makes him an even greater sadic. but even a, an even greater saddick deserves less suffering therefore his surplus suffering increases in size meaning he's helping, he's protecting more people, making him an even greater tadiq, worthy of even less suffering. And again, increasing the su- his surplus of suffering, making him an even greater help to people and a greater Tadik. And in mathematics, in mathematical terms, it's an it's a interesting series. The tadiq sages, this Sadiq is almost, almost Mushlam, almost perfect. He, he deserves, say, 20 degrees of suffering. But God gives him 50 degrees of suffering. So he's got a surplus of 30 degrees of suffering, which he which are surplus to him, which he takes upon his shoulders to protect others. As a result of this selfless act, he now only deserves 15 degrees of suffering, because now he's an even greater tzaddik for accepting the suffering of others, meaning he's got a surplus of 35 degrees of suffering to protect others, which makes him an even greater tzaddik. So now he only deserve 10, deserves ten degrees of suffering, meaning he has a surplus of forty to protect others, making him an even greater tzaddik. So what we what we have in Judaism is this idea that a tzaddik, and we're not talking about regular, you know, the tzaddikim in the world, but there are, we're talking about you know the um, the top of the tree. People, the definition of a great tzaddik is someone that's willing to do this. If he, if he, if he wasn't willing to do this, he wouldn't be the great tzaddik that he was. Now, so we have this idea that it's possible for the tzaddik of the generation to suffer or particular individuals on a high, very, very high level, spiritual level to suffer, be prepared to take on the suffering of other people in their generation, thus lessening the suffering that other people in that generation will suffer. Now, obviously, There's a huge question around this analysis,
1: which is. Anybody got an objection to this? Doesn't this sound like another religion?
0: The idea of somebody else taking on the sins of other people on their shoulders? Anybody, exactly. anybody?
1: Christianity. that's
0: what it, it sounds like it sounds like Christianity gee whiz is Judaism like Christianity it certainly, it certainly sounds like Chris, Christianity now it just so happens that the Christians got this idea straight out of Judaism but as usual they took the idea and drove it off a cliff Christians believe that uh, you're born into original sin uh, people that learned Christianity with me had shifted on Wednesday night will know exactly what i'm talking about here christians believe that a a human being is born with original sin they're inveterate sinners and they can't escape their own sinning nature without the help of jesus and jesus had to suffer and die and bear their sins for you because you are incapable you are a degenerate sinner and therefore you can never hope to get to the kingdom of god Without the help of Jesus, the example I give in the Shear is that uh, you walk into the uh, Makollet to buy a bottle of water. And the, the guy behind the counter says it's eight shekels and you've only got three shekels in your pocket. So you can't buy the water. So Jesus will come along and he'll give you the extra five as long as you believe in him. Because Jesus has taken all the sins that you had on his shoulders and he's died for you, suffered for you. So here, here you have it. But the reality is that this idea uh, that the Christians have about original sin and Jesus atoning with his suffering for the sins of the whole world, that is taken straight out of Judaism. But again, as usual, the Christians take the idea and just drive it off a cliff. Um, the idea of being born into sin, the idea of original sin, is a complete anathema to Judaism. In Judaism, you can't be born into sin because the definition of sin in Judaism is a transgression that you are responsible for. You can't be responsible for something you never did. And um, we'll discuss this uh, uh, further later on in, in this verse, in these uh, three verses. But what what I've tried to explain now is how the, suffer- the suffering surplus... Um, of the generation can be absorbed by the sadic, But then what, what we've done is we've left ourselves a paradox. What are, what is the mechanics? What are the, the dynamics by which a sadic can suffer and spare an individual or a community or even the whole world from punishment? A punishment that they have earned by their own actions. Like, how can he do that? How, how does that work? What are the mechanics? What are the dynamics of people who who, who, through their own free will actions deserving of uh, punishment for those free will actions that somebody else can take it upon their, their shoulders and accept the suffering that these other people are due based on their, their own free will actions so the answer is like this that the jewish people are treated as a whole and we know this because in yom kippur when we say uh, when we ask for kapora, we ask for atonement. We don't do it in the singular; we do it in the plural. And uh, we'll discuss the Chabad Chaim's view on this in a minute. The Jewish people are treated as a whole, an organic whole. Um, and of course, on Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, it's all about the Jewish people. It's all about the world. It's al chet shechatonu. It's all in the plural, and even davening on every day of the week. Rufo'einu, bless, uh, us. bless us, heal us. Borei bless us. Shema listen to our voice. And this idea that the Jewish people are always treated as a whole is alluded to in the Gomorrah, where the Sanhedrin are called the eyes of the congregation. Einei ha'eda. The king is called the heart of the people. Lev ha'on, And the Jewish people or a collective unit, every individual plays a part in the organic whole of the whole nation. So a simple analogy would be, when someone smashes your little toe with a hammer, the reaction is not, oh my God, my little toe is in pain. The reaction is, I am in pain. The pain is felt by the person. It's localized in the toe, but the person himself, the whole person, feels the pain similarly the community of israel the jewish people as a whole can be hit by suffering directed at one person so just like the uh the human body is a collection of organic material combined to create a uh a a living breathing thinking uh, uh 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 individual so the jewish people are an organic um an organic uh, uh being one organic being made up of millions and millions of pieces cells and uh, toes and if you want to use the human analogy hearts and minds and uh the the uh analogy of the most important uh organs of that jewish body are the eyes of the people which is the sanhedrin and the Lev which is the heart of the people, which is the king. So the community of Israel as a whole can be hit by suffering directed at one person. And the Gemarim, the Dorev, on page 64, makes the following uh, uh, statement. There are four people that are, are considered to be dead, even though they're alive. Oni, someone who's poor. Mitzora, somebody who is... Uh, has got that spiritual disease of leprosy. Uh, summa, someone who's blind. Umisha ain lo bonim, somebody that has no children. It doesn't literally mean children. It could be, um, um, got no descendants, no, no, um, descendants. Um, well, it, it, it's a difficult, uh, language to explain, but it, it doesn't literally mean children. Anyway, it means tell medium as well. Um, so let's combine the ideas that we've just spoken about. The Sanhedrin are called the eyes of the congregation. And the blind person is like a dead man. So if the Sanhedrin is hit, the whole community, so to speak, becomes blind. If the whole community becomes blind, then the whole community are like the walking dead. So by striking just the Sanhedrin or just the Tzaddik, it can placate the whole community. Um, and this is what the Gomorrah in the Dorim is getting at, is that sometimes God will pick on a Tzadik who really doesn't deserve any suffering at all. But because he is part of the organic whole of the Jewish people and because he is an essential part, a leading part of this organic whole of the Jewish people, punishing him, punishing him, Counts for punishing is the equivalent of punishing a thousand people or ten thousand people. So this is what the Gomorrah Lidorim is pointing out. However, however, the Gomorrah asked the, the Rishonim asked on that Gomorrah, isn't this dreadfully unfair? After all, it seems to be that you can have a situation where the perpetrators of evil seem to get off scot free while the Taliq has to suffer. And the Rishonim and answered, this is what makes a Tzaddik a Tzaddik. The nature of the Tzaddik that makes him a Tzaddik is that he willingly accepts the suffering on behalf of others because he loves every Jew like he loves his own children. And any parent will tell you that they would gladly accept suffering to avoid their children facing that suffering. So the Tzaddik accepts with love, Yesurin Shel Aval, the Gemara calls it in brothers the suffering of his own community, and the, by definition, the, by definition, that is what makes him a tzaddik. And uh, let nobody say that I don't quote uh, the Rebbes of Lubavitch, because I'm going to quote to you now the Derech HaChaim of the second Rebbe of Chabad, Rabbi Dov Behr, the Mittler Rebbe, and this is what he says in my translation of the Mittler Rebbe, second Lubavitch Rebbe. There is a type of test which God tests the righteous, that he brings yusurin chalava, afflictions of love, to cleanse him and others, that he brings yusurin chalava, suffering of love, that cleans not only the taddik, but the surplus suffering that he doesn't deserve, will cleanse others, others, many, many people, could be a whole community, could be the whole world. And this is only applicable to the righteous, whose soul God wants to cleanse. And he says we can bring a proof from the flax worker, who only pounds the flax that is good. And when he strikes the flax, it becomes white and shiny. So too, when afflictions come to the tzaddik, his soul becomes white and pure. And you should understand this metaphor uh, easily. And there is another metaphor I can tell you about someone that owned, owns two cows. Because sometimes God's affliction, God afflicts, and a test comes from God. And God wants to bring harsh decrees to the world, but instead he brings them to the righteous only. Such that he suffers the decree of this for the sake of the whole world. So we find with Yehezkels. But Atos,vald, Avon was commanded to sit, to lay, to sleep on his left side for this period of time for 390 days, to sometimes Avon to bear, to atone for the sins of Israel, carries on the river, and this is what is com- compared to two cows, in which the only owner places the yoke only on the strong cow. So too, when the, when God, blessed be he, wants to bring the yoke of his de- evil decree or wicked, not wicked decree, but punishing decrees of suffering on account of a sin that is in the world, he brings it on the good, the strong, the righteous. Since they are able to hold up under his decree and his yoke, may he be blessed. So here you have this, um, you have this idea that, uh, and the, the beginnings of the idea of what Yecheskel is doing here. The Yecheskel seems to be, certainly according to, um, the way I've just explained it, which is the way the Ramchal understands it, the way Marmaral understands it, the way the, uh, Ram Rambam understands it. And, the as we see here quite clearly, the way the second Lubavitcher Rebbe understands it, that what's going on here is, this suffering, it's not really suffering, but it's, uh, it's uncomfortable to lie on your left side for 390 days. This suffering is supposed to be an atonement, because Yechezkel is the great Tzaddik. He's the great leader of the Jewish people. And uh, he is the one that's chosen to atone for the sins of all the Jewish people. Um,
1: okay. That's where we're up to. We're up to now.
0: We're in the middle of this, so I've got to stop because for for time purposes. Because I'm I'm just about to explain another Gemara, and it'll take twenty minutes to explain this Gemara. But um, so what I'll do is hold on. Questions? Let me see if there's questions regarding attorney for someone else. We keep people in mind all the time, unlike. Taxes. That is we can't tell our government that my brother, who missed the filing date for his taxes, that it's okay because I've kept him in my I <laughs> kept him in my very good. Even though this doesn't relate to atonement. Air of Tashilin, what does that mean? What do you mean, Owen? Air of if you're the rabbi of the community and you make, oh, you know, oh, I see. Yes. Yes. You see what you're saying. You take it upon yourselves to do, to, to perform it for on behalf of everybody else. You take that responsibility on your own shoulders. Very good. Very good analogy. Um, now I'll tell you what we've not addressed yet, or we've not even started to address. Like, what sort of suffering is this? Number one, lying on the, on your side. Like, how does that atone for the sins of three, four, three, 430 years? Number two, these, some of these people have been dead for three, four, five hundred years. They're dead already. Right? What, what's the idea of atoning for their sins? And, uh, furthermore, furthermore, the other thing we have to discuss is we haven't dismissed this Christian idea that this is in some way, uh, Christological, this idea of a atoning for the sins of other people. So, um, we're sort of a third of the way through trying to understand exactly what's going on with Yecheskel lying on his left side, lying on his right side. We've had a brief introduction, uh, and we've quoted the labavitchereba which uh, you can tell your friends, Harry M. Jura, quoted the labavitchereba And and uh, let no one say he's not prepared to quote the Ch- Chabadniks, because he is. Um, uh, I was asked to Sharla today, actually, about... Uh, um, Listening on Zoom, whether you can be Yotza, listening on Zoom to the Megillah, uh, according to the Pesach of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, um, whether you can be, whether you can fulfill your obligation of listening to the Megillah via Zoom or via uh, on the radio or via microphone or anything else. Um, so uh, I gave up the Pesach of Rav Shlomo Zalman and uh, the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So I do, I do actually quote the contrary to what people think. I do have a question. Who's got a question? Chun has got a question. Um, too hard to explain. Go on then. Chun, you got a question.
1: Thank you. Um, if we are supposed to learn from all these things, right? We're supposed to learn from all this. What lesson do you learn when the good people are punished and the bad people get away with it?
0: Oh, so we're, we, we, have, we're no we're nowhere near this. Well, we will, we will deal with that. We're going to deal with that. Although, um, why good people suffer and, and and bad people get away with stuff? So there's many answers to that. But uh, we'll touch on a couple of the answers at the end. But so not um, why,
1: why that happens, but what we're supposed to learn, what we learn from that as human beings. I think we get the wrong lesson.
0: Also, we we're not there yet. We're going to come to that. That the, the, the lesson okay. we can learn. The lesson we can learn from it from it is significant and um, ostensibly your question is very strong like you know okay you know uh, I'll do a sin and you know let the tzaddik suffer on my behalf is that what you're talking about like it doesn't it doesn't send off a very good message to people to avoid sin. Because at the end of the day, you know, uh, it could be that the Tanik will take the, uh, take it upon his shoulders and, uh, we'll get away with it. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. But, um, as I said, we're only partially, 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 uh, partially through this. There's still a lot to discuss and we've still got to develop this idea of how it can be. Uh, I've laid the foundations that there is this idea. That a tzaddik can take on the suffering of a generation or an individual or a community on his shoulders, which is what makes him a tzaddik. There is that idea in Judaism, but how Yecheskel does that, especially considering, you know, most of these people are already dead and have probably already been, already been dealt with, uh, you know, after they've already died, you know, they've had their Yom HaDin already, uh, how Yecheskel can do that and, um, and Cherner's question, what message does this send out to the Jewish community that uh, this is the way things work? So it, there's more to this than meets the eye, as we'll we'll discuss, um, please God, next week um, as we delve deeper into this issue. Uh, because this does seem a very strange idea that uh, Yechezkel, you know, he's lying on his left side for 390 days and he's lying on his right side for 40 days. And that's an atonement for sins that go back eight hundred and fifty years or go that uh, uh, are represented by four hundred and thirty odd years of sin but go back eight hundred and fifty years since the time the Jewish people came into the land of Israel, and even more so than that, how can he do that? How can he accept all all those sins he, however great a tzaddik he is he can't he, he doesn't have the surplus to accept the sins of you know millions and millions and millions of people over 850 years and uh the, the the more pressing question at the end of it all is what good did it do because the base of Midrash was destroyed anyway so lying on your left side for 390 years as an atonement lying on your right side for 40 years as an atonement didn't seem to do much good right because six years later the base of has got all fall down ringa ringa roses so all these questions have got to be dealt with, and we haven't fully dealt with the this idea of the 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 seeming parallel um, to Christianity. Well, and as I mentioned you before, Christianity takes this idea but, and drives it over the cliff. But uh, the reality is that it does it does bear a striking resemblance to the basic beliefs in Christianity, and we've got to come back to that. Um, at some point as well, so we're in the middle of a a difficult um, we're in the middle of a difficult portion. These three psukim um, are very difficult to explain. Uh, I, I'm, I'll do my best to to get to the the uh, finish line so that everybody has an insight into exactly what's going on here. But as I said, we're in the middle of it, and we'll continue and complete this, please God, uh, this analysis of these three psukim next week. And then uh, at the end of it, I, su- I, I, I suspect that there'll be quite a few questions and I'll leave time for questions on it. Um, and we'll deal with that then. Uh, in the meantime, if anybody else has got a question, now's the time. Um, if not, we'll call a uh, halt and we'll continue with these three verses this same time next week. Thank you. Yes, okay. Thank you, Kulto, to be continued, to be continued. Bye-bye. Are we
1: going to have a test?